Behind the Shades. So I know, Anna, we are going to talk about a fantastic series of topics. We're going to talk about orgasms. Everyone should be experiencing those hopefully by this age. Intimacy and relationships. But before we get right into it, Anna, do me a favor and do my audience a favor. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where my guests can find you. Okay, thank you very much. So my name is Anna Thurman from Thurman Consulting. I have my own business here in China. For the last two years, I've been a CEO and a sexual intimacy coach. I've been working when I lived in England as a coach already, but I had the great opportunity to build my business while here in China. And I help women and men to have a more fulfilled sexual and intimate relationship with themselves and also with their partner. Because sometimes when we hear sexual intimacy, we think about sex and we think it's just about our partner and me, but it's not. It's also the relationship that you have with your body. So I help men and women to get deeper into that and to start loving, not loving, accepting themselves for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I am also the number one emotional health specialist here in Shenyang for the expert community. So I work with the hospitals, the local hospitals here. When there is an emotional emergency with one of the experts, they call me and then I go in and I support as best as I can. I've been coaching for over eight years now. I'm still loving it. I have had to grow into the CEO role, which is an ongoing thing. But the coaching has always been, I think it's in my blood. I, I was born to it, uh, for it. And I'm just learning more and more about people, about how I can help them and how our mind works and how, how much our mind is actually affecting our lives, which we tend to forget, particularly when it comes to sexual intimacy. We think, oh, that's just the body. No, no, no. It's so much starting here. So take us from the genesis of this. How did you get involved in helping others, as your background states, get their orgasm back? How did you get involved in this? Well, it started with my own limiting belief. And I have that limiting belief that when I masturbate, I need to have this big, amazing fantasy. And it has to become bigger and bolder every time. And when I'm in it and then oh, the washing needs to be done, it was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm losing my fantasy. My body was tensioning up. It was hard work. And it was also preparation work. Like what fantasy am I choosing? How will it go? <laughs> and so before even starting to masturbate, it was this feeling in my body of cramping, tension. And after I had my orgasm, which was like, I need to get my orgasm. It was this, I need to do this like a chore, like I need to end this task or I need to fulfill this task. It, it was more like that. And when I had the orgasm, it was like, I was more released from the cramping, from the tension, then that was gone. 
instead of just feeling my body, body tingling and, and having that release. And I thought it was this typical, you have a shower, you come out of the shower and think, well, all of these tools that I use with my clients in every part of their lives, they work so brilliantly. Why wouldn't they work in the bedroom? Why wouldn't they work for me? So I went down to business. I used the tools that I thought were the right ones for me for this situation. And I quieted my mind. I just focused on my body. I focused on the tensions that I experienced when masturbating, when pleasuring myself. And there was no cramping, there was no tension. And I had an orgasm from toes to ear <laughs> all the way through. And it was amazing. And I hadn't had such an amazing orgasm doing masturbation for a long time. And that was the moment where I thought, this needs to be shared. People need to know that it can be that easy to have pleasurable sexual activities, pleasurable orgasms without the big fantasy, without the big actions, just simply by focusing on your body. Is that one of the reasons why we should engage in that type of self-pleasure? Because it gives us an opportunity to learn about our bodies, learn the type of touch that we want, and it allows us to better understand our bodies. So if we are looking to pleasure or make pleasure with our partner, we understand ourselves and what we like and what we don't like a lot better? Yes, definitely. So masturbation has many benefits. Of course, you get to know your body, you know what do you like, how does it feel? But even though you know what you like for a woman, as a woman, we forget that we have, our vagina is about 10 centimeters. It's just an area of pleasure, all of it, even inside of it. And we don't know that because no one ever told us, like, if you do this, if you do that, if you, so many ideas that, there are that you can do, so many things you can do with that area of pleasure. And when you explore all of that, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you then tell your partner, hey, you put a little more pressure on that side, or if you put your finger like that, if you do this with your finger or that, whatever it is, it gives you so much more pleasure and it will also be good for your partner because now he can see, oh, if I do this, that's her reaction. How amazing am I to give her that pleasure? So it's beneficial for both. And particularly for men, of course, I I'm not a man, so I can't speak for myself in this perspective. But for men, if they masturbate, it's very, very healthy. So my recommendation would be masturbate 21 times a month because it risks the chances of cancer, of prostate cancer. It risks the chances of uh, erectile dysfunctions. It helps you last longer. But masturbation, amazing for the body and for the soul, for men and women. When you said 21 times a month, I almost had a heart attack because I'm thinking, what? That was to me, that's, it seems like a lot, right? I'm trying to we're trying to get it down to zero, but but it does definitely does seem like a lot on the surface level. But when you 
highlight it and you mentioned, hey, this is an opportunity for you to learn about your body, for you to understand your body. If I'm taking it from a male's perspective and I'm looking to masturbate, to pleasure myself, am I doing it myself without, let's say, pornographic material and things like that? Like, is it more so I have to get myself in the right place of mind and then do it? Or do you recommend that I should be watching those types of movies and accessories to get myself in the mood and then continue forward with the self-pleasure? Well, that really depends because sometimes I think particularly this younger generation, they are so used to use porn that it's hard for them to then bring up, bring up their own fantasies. So when you see this porn, how these people in porn react, you also assume that this is how you need to do sex. This is how it has to happen. This is what you do with your partner. So you create this fantasy, this illusion of how intimacy looks like. And the other thing is also when you masturbate, a guy told me this, he was masturbating to pornography and he did it in secret. So it was always this, I have to do it quick. I have to come quickly. That means you train yourself to come quickly. You train yourself like I did train my body to get into that tension. So you train yourself to be also tense and have this anxiety maybe inside you while you masturbate. And that's how your sex life then probably turns out because you just train yourself to do it that way. You think that is or your body thinks, well, this is the way we need to do it. So when I have sex with my partner, oh yeah, anxiety. Oh, I need to be quick. No one can see me. So I would suggest not to use pornography. Maybe use it to get in the mood, but while you masturbate, turn it off, turn it around, look away. And just focus on the sensations of your body because the penis, it's so, such a sensitive organ, such a sensitive muscle. You have so many feelings on there. So just experience what that feels and how good it is because you can then also know and get to know your body and say to your partner, if she helps you, gives you a hand job, you can say, well, if you do it that way, much, much better for me then it makes me feel like this. So my recommendation would be get porn as if you needed to get into the fantasy, but to actually for the masturbation, so don't use it. And that's a good point that you raise because sometimes when I'm in the mood and if I'm intimate with my partner, it's always a state of mind. Yeah, the, the, the porn and things like that, it's, it's a great fantasy, right? But sometimes we can confuse that with reality. Like how many, how many outfits are you going to ask your, your woman to get and dress up in, right? But I think if we can learn to understand ourselves and just say, hey, I want to get myself in the mood. And as you mentioned, that area is so sensitive. Mm-hmm. feels so good, right? You can say, hey, Anna, if you do this technique, I like it a lot better than this one. If you move your hand this way, or if you come to me and you say, "Terrain, if you put your hand, if you put your fingers here, you apply pressure here, you look at me this way, you touch me this way." 
How important is the communication aspect when you're sharing these intimate moments, Evan? It's very important. But most importantly about that communication is that you keep an open mind and don't take it personally. So just because your partner tells you to do something different doesn't mean that it's wrong what you're doing. It just means that if you do that, it's even better. And I think it also depends. We, there is a saying in Germany that the tone makes the music. So how you then bring that across in what kind of tone, kind of voice, you talk to your partner about it. And don't, don't be harsh and say, ah, oh, that's shit, what are you doing? Excuse my language. Um, that doesn't help you. That doesn't help your partner. But if you say, I like it when you do that, and when you put more pressure from on top, even better and your partner will be willing to do that and even more especially when they see the reaction and i think that is so important right? like when you see that the person is giving you the body language that they're really really enjoying this it could offset some of the maybe some of the shame that we may experience in communicating this right if we say that can you do this you're not as hesitant because the partner or even yourself, you're giving yourself such positive feedback. Is that something that we can work on when we're communicating to give the positive reassurance that, hey, Anna, I like this. You're doing a good job. Keep doing more of this. Does that work? Of course. Of course. I mean, what better feedback can you get when I say, this is amazing what you're doing. Keep doing it. But on the other hand, I understand that many of us shy back from that. We shy back from expressing positive feedback, from expressing negative feedback, because we don't want to hurt the other person. And with the positive feedback, it's this vicious cycle that you think, well, if I tell him that I like this, he might not do the other anymore. And he might not do a different technique or a different position anymore. But then it comes back to communication to say, okay, let's change positions. Let's try this. Let's try the other. Just be open about it. That was something that I had to learn, not necessarily to communicate with my partner. It was just in my mind. I didn't want to come across as like I was demanding a certain type of position in the bedroom. So I had to work on asking in a nice way. Because you can't just say, Anna, turn around. Be like, uh, you know, treat me like a lady first, right? Buy me dinner first. So, <laughs> but you want to communicate it in a way that is positive because I think many of us suffer from so many um, negative thoughts when it comes to the bedroom, especially before the actual act. Oh, I'm a little, I feel a little bloated today. I'm a little fat. I'm not this. And then the men may have, let's say, the performance anxiety. What if I'm not big enough? What if I can't pleasure? What if she had someone better? Do you work with men and women to overcome some of these maybe limiting beliefs that they may have before they enter the bedroom and get intimate with their partner? Yes, 100% of my clients have exactly one of those limiting beliefs that it's their body, it's who they are. And that's why they don't have an orgasm. Because my program is called Get Your Orgasm Back and they don't have an orgasm because of a limiting belief about themselves. It's usually covered with a lot of self-shame, a lot of self-blame, a lot of insecurity. 
lot of anxiety about what does the other person think. And interestingly, so many of us, we think that we are mind readers. We think that we know what the other person thinks. <laughs> and that scares us. And overcoming that boundary to overstep and say, what do you actually think? That's so hard for most of us, for many of us. So it's, I help them to, to do that step, to find out what is it that you actually want? Because sometimes we think we want something because someone told us, society told us, or I heard this, my parents said I should be like that. So we think we need to think a particular way. We think we need to want particular things, but in the bedroom with the pornography, we think that's what we want to just bang around. And yeah, now I'm happy because we don't know that if we really feel the body of our partner, if we take the time to explore the body and they take the time to explore our, we don't know how much pleasure that can give us, but we think this is the way to do it. So Anna, share with me here because I am dying to learn a lot more and I want to make sure that I bring my A game to the bedroom every single time. What are some of the tips that you would share, let's say from a, with the men to help us better understand what women want in the bedroom and maybe their perspective of intimacy in the bedroom? Every woman is different. That means... If your ex-girlfriend likes something, doesn't mean your current girlfriend likes it. <laughs> Let's be clear on that. We are all different. We all like different things. Um, in general, we could say that women take longer to get to the same level of erection as a man does. So men are there quite quickly. We can see it obviously when they have an erection. That's a good indicator. Doesn't mean they are there in their brain. So don't get me wrong. Um, but for us women, we don't have that obvious sign. Even if we women are wet, it doesn't mean we are there yet. So we need, sometimes it can take up to five, 45 minutes for a woman to be in the same mood physically, emotionally, as the man within five minutes. So take your time, find out what your partner wants. And it makes it extra difficult that some days she likes it, other days she doesn't. So yeah, it, it really depends on the mood. It depends on, is it morning? Is it evening? Is it outside? Is it in the bedroom? Is it in the kitchen? Are the children next door? Are the parents next door? So many factors and so many circumstances that are going on in your day-to-day -day life. So sometimes, Maybe just a quickie is the right way forward. Other times it might be, yeah, an hour long session with a lot of massaging, a lot of touching, a lot of foreplay. And the way to get there is to talk to your partner. Don't try, I mean, sometimes people say, read the mood. That's a good thing, but the safe way to do it is always to talk to your partner to go to your partner and say, I'm in the mood for a quickie. How about you? And then she will tell you like, oh, okay, I can do a quickie. I'm up for it, let's do it. 
or she might say, yeah, I think I need a bit more time. I'm, I'm not there yet. Can we do something before? Say, yeah, of course. So talk about it, find out what she wants, because there is no generalization about women like this. <laughs> I used to date a girl, um, this was years ago, and she didn't really, I don't want to say like, but she didn't necessarily warm up to the conversation about sex. Um, it was something that she didn't really enjoy talking about it. And the way that you and I are talking, for example, Anna, she would have no part <laughs> in that whatsoever. And in the beginning, it always gave me the impression that she didn't really enjoy being intimate or the sexual experience. And then when we started to be intimate, I realized how much she enjoyed it. So she was one of those women that outside of it, she doesn't want to hear anything like see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, right? But once you get her in the mood, she was really, really into it. And sometimes I always wonder if maybe something had happened that she that made her not enjoy talking about or discussing it. Um, because there's times where she would get really into it. And then she would get wet and things like that. And even though she was enjoying it, she didn't like after the fact that there was like the cleanup or the aftercare, right? Um, and then that made me understand to your point that everyone is different because with another girlfriend, she really, really enjoyed that part of it, like talking about it, speaking about it. And it was like two different people, but the sexual experience was similar. It was just the buildup was different. And it made me appreciate foreplay as well. And I think sometimes foreplay gets misunderstood. People think, well, I have to do this for an hour. Not necessarily. If you understand what the person wants, they can guide you accordingly. Like how important is the foreplay aspect and the buildup to the actual penetration piece? I would say foreplay starts after the orgasm. Because what we don't want to do is to just, when, and I experienced that with my clients, female clients, they come and say, my husband just comes close when he wants sex. Apart from that, he doesn't touch me. He doesn't give me compliments. There is no intimacy apart from when he wants sex. That's whenever he comes close, I know, ah, he wants sex. And we forget that the foreplay starts right after you had your orgasm. Because that's when you can already start hugging, kissing, clap on, on, the, the, uh, on the bum, or just a kiss on the neck. That can happen all day long. It doesn't have to be sex. It doesn't have to lead to sex. But it's that buildup. It's that foreplay. And it's amazing how these little things can add up to want each other more because your partner will see I am wanted not just for you to release your sperm on me but you actually want me all day long every day it's like the don't forget the sexual touching because as you mentioned we can embrace each other and touch each other but it doesn't have to lead up to sex but it builds that attraction to when we do have sex, let's say later that day or that night or the next day, then 
we've built up what we would call like we want each other so bad that we're at the point where we're like tearing each other's clothes off. Is that the buildup you're talking about? Well, it can happen that way. If you're in the mood, if you're very passionate about, but I'm just talking about this feeling to be wanted. I am a woman, I want to be wanted. If my man shows me that he wants me any time of the day, that doesn't mean that, yeah, he wants to jump on me or he probably does, but that's not what I mean. I just want to know that he desires me. If I stand in the kitchen cooking and he gives me a kiss on, on my back, mm, nice. He gives me the attention. He talks my love language. And that one makes me to want more. That makes me to want to be there, want to be with him. So when we give each other this, when we speak each other's love language and we build up that excitement, that wanting, then yes, it can be like you said, this passionate buildup and it's an explosion of fireworks. But it can also just be like we lie down and we have this very flower power sex where we just feel each other. So whatever it is for you. So like... And that's a good example because there's, I've always wanted to do that. And I've done it where let's say the person I'm with is cooking and you just go up behind her, you hug her, but you may like kiss her on her neck. You may bite her neck. You may nibble on her neck, things of that nature. Right. And if she is, let's say she's sweeping the floor, she's picking up something. You give her a little slap on the butt, something along that, because you want to be playful with the Mm -hmm. person you're with and show them that, Hey, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I still want you and I'm still attracted to you. And as you mentioned, a lot of people's love language is physical touch. And a lot of times, especially from a difficult day, they just want to be touched by the person that they love, right? No. Actually, no. <laughs> no, they don't want to be touched? It's not. Uh, I mean, we have five love languages and physical mm-hmm. touch is one of them. And it's not the primary the, or the main love language for most of the people. That's the interesting thing. And it changes. At the beginning of a relationship, when you're especially together in love, touch is big. But when you get to a long-term relationship, a committed relationship, that changes. It turns into more quality time. It turns into more compliments, words of affection, saying I love you, thank you for making dinner, or thank you for paying the bills, thank you for moaning the law, whatever it is, then that becomes more important, becomes a higher priority than the physical touch. Mm. I'm dating the wrong woman because... My love language was always words of affirmation because I love that. I love hearing kind things, right? And mm-hmm. like even like this conversation, the conversations that I have, I like, I really enjoy them. And that's always been my love language. And the people I've, I've dated in general, it seems their love language that they would express has always been gift giving, right? But the, one, the love language they like to receive was always the physical touch. And these are people that I dated, let's say, six months to 12 months to three years. And 
That's that's interesting that you mentioned that because I could agree that in the early stages that we would call the honeymoon stage, you're all over each other. This person is new, it's exciting, it's fresh. But as you get older, which is what I truly believe happens, is that you begin to understand, I just want to spend time with Anna. I just want to sit down and watch a movie. I want to have a conversation. I just want to be around you. If we are intimate, we're intimate, but it isn't the end all and be all. So I think I need to, um, yeah, I need to reevaluate the type of girls that I date. So Anna, thank you for that revelation. (laughs) Maybe ask them, maybe talk to to them what it actually is, because sometimes they might not even be aware. Because I, when I first talked to my partner about what's your love language, he looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I explained to him what they actually mean. And then he really had to think about it. He couldn't just say it. He said, let me think about it. Let's talk in an hour. But I need to think about it. Because out of the blue, just by now put me on the spot, I need to think about it. What is actually really important to me? And maybe they display because they are brought up like that. They've seen it in other relationships. Their previous relationship has been very physical. And now they think that is how it works. So they might not even know what they want and what their love language is until you come and say, hey, what is it actually that makes you feel loved? Do you believe that maybe sometimes we're conditioned to show our love a certain type of way, even though we may think that it's not the best way to show it in our relationships? Yeah, I mean, I'm here in China. People don't show affection in public. They don't. When my partner and I hold hands or kiss, they sometimes even stop, take pictures and look at us, just watch us. What what are these foreigners doing? Because they are, they've grown up it's tradition not to show affection in public. And when I, I did a, a presentation on the five love languages at one of the hospitals, and we had a couple of ladies there, even Chinese ladies who came, who wanted to know more about it. And when we talked about what is your love language, one lady answered, in China, we do this. In China, we want this. In China, we want this. And then I said, well, what do you want? And that was a whole different ballgame. So yeah, sometimes if, if no one is interested in what do you actually want, we just go with society tells us this is what we want. That's what I think that happens because especially you have the, the culture dynamic, whereas I was brought up in this culture and no one in the culture or very few people show PDA, public displays of affection, right? They're not kissing, they're not holding hands, they're not doing all these things in public, but behind closed doors is a different conversation. Whereas some other cultures, if they're in the mood to display their affection for their partner, they're going to do that. And then you have the religious aspect where some people are like, we don't do that at all. So I can understand that you and I may come from a culture where if we're walking down the street and we're together, we're going to hold each other's hands or my hands on your hip, your hands on my shoulder, whatever the case is, where some other people, it's more like their shoulders are not even touching, right? It's more like they're, they're marching instead of walking. How do you help someone or a couple overcome what they want to do to honor maybe the culture that they're in, but they're still trying to identify, hey, 
this is what I want. How do you help them balance that? It depends on the culture. Because when I talk to Chinese people here, that's um, my best example. They, on the one hand, they want it. So they want to have more intimacy. They want to be closer emotionally to their partner. But they also know that they actually, it's hard. I don't want to say they choose, but in one way, they choose to be secretive about it towards their families. And then it depends on, then it's more like, okay, how can we make you feel to be okay to not show the side of you that you feel that your family will be very judgmental of? But you can still go into that situation. You can still go to these gatherings and be okay with it. What can we do? What can we work on to make you feel okay? And that usually starts with self-acceptance. When you accept the good, the bad, and the ugly that you are, it's easier for you to accept the good and the ugly, the bad about other people. So it comes down to, I accept myself and I accept that you have this judgment, that you want me to be different. I accept that. It has to do with forgiveness. I forgive you for how you treat me. It's okay. You do the best that you can with the resources you have. And that's okay. I go this way. I'm with you there. I don't listen. I don't take it personally. And I just move away when the time has come. I'm hoping for a time where we can have these types of conversations more often because I think it's going to help people understand that there's no shame in expressing what you want in the bedroom. And there's no shame in expressing how you want to feel on an intimate level. Yes, you want to make sure that you balance certain beliefs that you have, right? But I just hope that we can work together to overcome some of the shame and some of the maybe disapproval that some people experience, especially from those close to them, such as like family members and things like that, right? Yeah. And the thing is, we humans, we are very emotional. So we act on our emotions. That's what we do. And when it comes to talking to your partner about your sexual desires, of course, first is this stage of, oh my God, what will they think? Oh my God, they won't like it. All this drama that you have. And then you talk to them and then they say, no. And you think, oh my God, I got rejected. And your world breaks apart. And then you act emotionally, walk away, you're disturbed, you uh, can't look into their eyes anymore or whatever it will be. So there is some very emotional reaction. And when we understand that people, when we tell them something that they never heard from us. So if you, for the first time, talk to your partner, this is actually how I like it better. Their first reaction might be that they take it personally, that they think, oh my God, I've done it wrong all this time. He never told me, am I that bad? Was it so bad what I've done? All of that will go on in their minds. So we need to give them time. That the first reaction isn't the last reaction. That even if the first reaction isn't, oh my God, I need to go away. I don't want to see you for five days. That's okay. Give them the time because it's the first time they heard it, even though it's going on in your head maybe for weeks, months, years even. 
just give them the time to adapt. Give them the time to think about it and see what they can do or want to do with it. And then continue the conversation. How would you help people who are having that type of conversation, but maybe they feel it's not going in the direction that they would want it to go in? Well, it usually doesn't go in the direction they want it to go because they go in with expectations. So they expect, if I say this, I expect him to react like that. And again, if you're not a mind reader, it probably doesn't turn out that way. So I have my clients in the way that we get rid of those expectations. We know our intention. We know why we want to say that. We know what we want the outcome to be for us personally, but we leave it open for the other person to react, to have time to think about it and to also give new input. And I go through with them. So what if your partner says, oh my God, that's a shitty idea. What happens then to you? And then we go through that scenario to make it okay, to take away that, oh my God, it's me. He doesn't want to do it for me. No, 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 nothing to do with you. But we need to go through it to experience it in order then to be ready for the ultimate test to talk to the partner. And when we are aware of all the the good, the bad, and the ugly that might happen, it's much better because we're usually afraid of the unknown. But when we go through some scenarios, now we know, now we have an idea what could happen. And we know, oh, we can get through this. So it makes it much easier then to talk. So as we close, Anna, what's some advice that you'd want to give to the next generation of, let's say, young couples who are trying to figure out not only their own level of intimacy with themselves, but with others? What type of advice would you want to give them? I would like to tell them that start talking, even if you don't know how or what to say. Start little with, I like to be kissed and just see where it goes. It's so important to just start the conversation. You never know where it's going and you don't need to have expectations to turn out in a, in a, in a big thing. The little thing, that's what counts. And every little thing will add up to something amazing. So start talking, start exploring. Don't take it personally. It's never about you. It's usually the other person that carries something inside of them that hasn't been healed that just now comes out while you talk about it. So be open and um, show compassion.